Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast and it is indeed presented by league apps we are closing in on the 2023 united soccer coaches convention in philadelphia and at the same time we are celebrating champions So we put the focus on both of those topics on today's show and so much more. We start with Julianne Sitch, who became the first female head coach in history to lead an NCAA men's soccer program to a national title. She did it in her first season, leading U Chicago to a D3 men's title. She will kick off the show. After her, another heartwarming story brought to my attention by the amazing John Mayer, who gives so much of his time to the association and the awards committee. John found out about two Las Vegas police officers, Bob Chin, who is also an assistant high school soccer coach, and Luis Vidal, who grew up in South Central Los Angeles. These two helped create a youth soccer club in Las Vegas that is free to those who need it. They have kept kids off the streets and placed several of them into colleges, either playing soccer or on academic scholarships. You will enjoy meeting Luis and Bob. Then we turn to the training ground and internationally renowned sports psychologist Dan Abrahams, who has just submitted a fascinating article titled Internal Driving the External. He breaks down that article for the training ground and also talks about two presentations he will be doing at the convention in Philly. We then wrap up the show meeting the new membership services manager for the United Soccer Coaches National Staff Office. Her name is Sarah Wilbur, and she offers so much to the association. One of her jobs is to coordinate and help run the amazing United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 program, and she brings us the first of 30 from the new class, the amazing Tyler Weiss will wrap up the show. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Lee Gaps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Last Saturday, the University of Chicago men's soccer program capped an historic undefeated season as NCAA Division III men's soccer national champions with a 2-0 victory over Williams College. In the process, head coach Julianne Sitch, who's been on the program before, became the first female head coach in history to lead an NCAA men's soccer program to a national title. She did it in her very first season, reminding you that Julianne Sitch 
was hired as U Chicago's head men's soccer coach in April 2022. And as we sit here now in early December, she is a national champion head coach at U Chicago, and she's on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back, Julianne. Hi, thank you for having me. I got to tell you, getting to know you, even when you played in the WPS, when I visited with you on the podcast, and then watching the video of the team dropping Gatorade on you, the joy of your players giving you hugs and the celebration, it really moved me. Now that you've had a few days to soak it all in and get rid of all that Gatorade that was poured on you, Julian. It's going to be tough, but how do you put into words what happened in such quick order here as you make history and your program wins the national championship? It's a moment that will forever be with me and something that, you know, I'm just very blessed and fortunate to be a part of replaying that video or seeing that just the joy on the players' faces just all along. All the photos that have come across when we won in overtime in the semifinal and watching the team celebrate the hugs, the happiness, the laughter. And even yesterday we had a little media thing and photo with the president of University of Chicago and the guys dressed up in suits and had their championship hats on and raising that trophy. I mean, just the smiles that they, they're just, it's so amazing to watch them and to watch the staff celebrate with them. And it's just, it's a moment. It's, it's incredible. Let's talk about dreams because I know you had a dream to play professional soccer. You did that. And I remember you saying it's kind of a dream come true to become a head coach for the men's program, which only a few people have done. We'll talk a little bit about Kim Wyant here in a bit, but did you ever dream again, being hired on April, 2022 and, and just over a half a year later, you are now the national champion. Did you ever dream it, Julianne? <laughs> you dream as a coach. I think every coach dreams to be successful and to win and to have a championship, right? You know, I hope we all have those goals and, and dreams to go after but to be here, I, it's just, it's incredible. It's, it truly is an honor. Captain Obvious here, you're a woman, you're coaching men. Talk about how these young men embraced you as a woman, because I really did feel like that video said a lot about how much they loved you and how much you loved them. Yeah, you know, I, a lot of credit goes to the guys in general of just the people that they are. And a lot of credit goes to the previous staff and the previous alum, you know, they paved the way for us to be here and they have paved a way to show, you know, where you Chicago is and moving forward on the map and embracing a woman coach. And, you know, huge credit to them, huge credit to my assistant, Michael Morrow, you know, they haven't had a female coach before or haven't worked with a female coach and from day one was embraced and that never changed. In many ways, my last question was silly because of the obvious differences between men and women. This question is not silly because now other universities at every level can say, you know what, you do not have to be a man to coach a men's soccer team. What does that mean to you to kind of blaze that trail to send that message? Yeah, you know, I, I've 
said this a little bit here and there, but every coach has something to offer a program. Every coach has something to offer a team, an athlete. We all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different experiences, whether it be we played growing up and that went into college or playing professionally or coaching. Like I think every coach takes different things from all different places. And we have something to offer these student athletes to continue to push them to be their best on and off the field. And, you know, I hope that just in general, that this moves forward and open doors for a lot of coaches and opens doors for women, but also coach opens doors for young men to pursue different dreams or different opportunities as well. Right behind you, it says, think positive. I want you to tell us the truth on what was the most positive about coaching men. And then also be honest and tell me what was the most challenging thing about coaching men? I think the most positive thing was just what they taught me. And I think that just goes in general about the student athletes at U Chicago. I felt this on the woman's side. I felt this on the men's side. They are extremely hardworking. They have, you know, high achieving. They want to be at their best. They push themselves at the best. They hold themselves to a standard. They hold each other to a great standard, but they're like just the their positive attitudes and energy that they bring to training as well. And that's something, you know, we talked about a lot throughout the season, but their work ethic and grit and resilience that they bring is something just second to none. You know, these student athletes are at one of the top academic schools. We were heading into finals when we went to the final four and just how they handled themselves to, to balance being at the final four, preparing and prepping for a semifinal, now heading back to the hotel to prep for finals, prepping for a championship and then, you know, continuing to come back to campus while enjoying this moment, but still having to prepare for finals is just something that is remarkable. The U Chicago Maroons ended the season with a 22-0-1 record and did not surrender a goal in either the national semifinal or the national championship match. The title is the first for the men's soccer program, which now joins the men's tennis team, also set this year as UChicago's two-team national champion programs in the NCAA Division Three era. So it's never happened before, and now you've got two of them, men's tennis and men's soccer. That's another reason to be prideful and joyful. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I know the tennis team has been knocking at the door They've been in, you know, those situations before. I know the women's soccer team has been there. Um, women's lacrosse, you know, all the sports in general are just pushing and, you know, wanting more at Chicago. And I think that's great in terms of, too, the athletic department, um, you, you know, where they're pushing to be and how they want to be on that mark. And, you know, a huge shout out to Angie Terrain as well, the athletic department for hiring me, you know, and stepping out of that and, you know, giving myself this opportunity. So huge credit to the athletic department and stuff of providing this competitive environment for our student athletes. Right in your conference, they had an example in the UAA at NYU. Kim Wyant is the head coach. That was history making as well when you two went together. What do you remember about that matchup with Kim and what it meant for women coaching men? Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was a special moment, especially, you know, when I was thinking about this job, the former coach, Pat Flynn, had, you know, told me he was going to put my name forward for this and I should really consider this. And also to reach out to Kim Wyant, like, you know, talk with her, brainstorm about this. And, you know, so speaking with Kim about this opportunity or what this could mean. And, you know, she was a, an influence in this, right. And had great conversation with her uh, about just where she's been and how, you know, she got to this moment and stuff. So all that was like a positive influence, you know, for myself. 
In Division Two or Division One, are there any situations where a woman is coaching a men's team at D2 or D1? I do believe that there is um, at Wilson University, I think is a D2 school. I believe Kendall Baird, I believe is. And I know that there's a couple other female coaches, you know, coaching high school teams and coaching college. And I know that there is quite a few women, you know, as assistant coaches as well on the men's side. And, you know, I think that's phenomenal and we should be able to celebrate that as well. Going back to dreaming, it's one thing to become one of the very few women coaches coaching a men's team in their first season. It's another thing to win the national championship. I have to go back to that. I mean, Julianne, just being there was special, but you didn't lose a game either, and you won the national championship. Did you know right away that you were truly this good? The team, absolutely. You know, um, the previous staff has created an extremely competitive environment, and, you know, them being in the final four of the four of the last five years and being able to head back there again this year, you know, we knew that this team was special. We knew that this could be the year that, you know, all the pieces fall together for us. And so um, I did know how highly competitive and good the program was. Now, I mentioned that you're a former pro. You played in the WPS. You played overseas, I think, in Australia and Sweden. And I think now, Julianne, that if I'm in the NWSL and I'm looking around for a coach and all of a sudden I see this woman who knows the pro game in our country just lead a men's program and D3 college to a national championship, I might want to talk to her. If that happens, how do you deal with that interest? Because I think it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I'll take that if it, you know, the opportunity presents itself. But, you know, at the moment, I absolutely love coaching college athletes. You know, I had worked with the Red Stars as an assistant coach, and I <clears throat> think I knew being there that eventually I'd get back to the college game. I really do enjoy this age group. I enjoy working with the student athletes. You know, it's it was something for me, a dream to be able to play college soccer as well and having a great experience that, you know, I, I really do enjoy being a part of a community and a school and, and being within that. So, you know, right now the college game is, is suiting me well. Okay, so let's say in the college game, a massive D1 job opens up, but it's on the women's side, not the men's side. Are you now a men's soccer coach or are you just a soccer coach? I think I'm just the soccer coach. I'm a soccer coach. <laughs> and I think that's important, right? So you enjoy coaching women just as much as men, right? Yeah, absolutely. This year has, I mean, it's been, it's been really fun. And I enjoy staying after practice, kicking around with the guys, you know, playing soccer, tennis, serving balls for them to finish on crosses, you know, like those, those moments is something that I really love as a coach, you know, um, I love game days. But I love also just being around the team in practice and having some extra time to kick around and play juggle games with them and stuff like that. So that piece has been absolutely rewarding this year. And what about dealing with all that masculinity, all that testosterone in this job where to be this good, they definitely have to be intense. They've got to bring it every single time. How hard was it to adjust to that, being around all of these incredible men? It wasn't. I have a great staff and assistants. Um, where, you know, they've been able to really work well with the team and provide something that I know potentially I can't provide to the team, but also know other things that I can provide. And, you know, honestly, I really do have to give credit to the team and to the staff. I mean, 
I never felt anything and it just, it, it worked. I felt comfortable. I felt confident working with the group. They were just phenomenal from the start when I met them on a Tuesday night in April and we started practice on a Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. And, you know, never felt anything different. Just a few more questions for Julianne Sitch, who makes history becoming the first woman to win a college national championship coaching men. Incredible as you, Chicago, did it with a 2-0 win over Williams just last Saturday. You know, as you push forward, they're already mentioned in the word repeat. How do you how do you deal with that, coach? <laughs> One day at a time, right? As we talked about all season, it's one game at a time. We never looked ahead. We never focused on conference play when we were in pre-conference play. We never thought about postseason when we were in conference, one day at a time, right? Um, I think everyone that has been involved in very successful seasons or winning a championship, you know, we know that it takes every person to, it plays a huge role with that. And we know that things have to fall into place. And, you know, right now it's, focusing on making sure we fill pieces and continue to move forward. So right now, focusing on enjoying this moment. I want the student athletes to enjoy this moment. You know, we all know that this potentially will never happen again, could never happen again. We hope that it does, but really just enjoying that moment and soaking in with your teammates. Yeah, because it did happen, there'll be some notoriety. You already mentioned the time with the president back at U Chicago. I got to believe I'm one of several media outlets that want to talk to you. How was that part of doing what you did? How, are you enjoying that part of it, Julianne, the notoriety that comes with it? I'm enjoying it for the program, 100%. You know, the this... This program, the university, the department, the boys, they deserve this. They deserve this recognition. They have worked so hard this season. Their dedication from day one to one another and continuing to grow um, their brotherhood culture that they talk about and continue to grow and develop and each day get better and better and add new layers to the game. Like they deserve, they deserve this. Just two more questions. If young female coaches, and we have 30,000 members are listening, or if perhaps young female players are even listening, thinking about, you know, their next step. What is your message to young girls, young women to have big dreams and to be able to cross over and work in work with a men's team? It's just amazing. Yeah. I think one of the biggest messages is to always dream big, always dream big, always go after it. Don't listen to other people when they tell you that that's not possible. Don't listen to other people when they tell you uh, you won't be successful with that. You know, if I would have listened to those messages at a very young age, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you, you know, and I dealt with that a lot throughout my career. Um, even early on when I chose to go play at DePaul, a lot of people told me that I would never be successful. And I think, you know, for myself, I, you know, grew up playing with boys and the, the biggest role models I had were men's soccer players until 1999 when the Women's World Cup, they won and the 99ers that we like to call them, like they grew women's soccer big time in the States. And it wasn't really until that moment that I could really dream in my dream of wanting to be a professional that I could believe in it and aspire to be that because I had role models that I could now look to. And I think it's really important for young women, young girls to have these positions, you know, filled with women in all different leadership roles in sports and corporate world, um, where they have something that they can, they can see it, they can believe it, they can dream it, they can aspire to be that. But I also think as much as this is very important, and really, 
um, amazing for young women. I think this is great for young men and young boys as well to think about, hey, I have this dream. I want to go after this. I want to aspire to be that. And I think that's just the biggest message is always dream big. Don't let anyone tell you you can't have a positive attitude and, you know, go after it. All right. Awesome. Final question. The convention will be held January 12th through January 15th. It will be in Philadelphia on January 13th. It actually starts January 11th. On January 13th, there'll be the awards banquet where we'll recognize the coach of the years for every division, junior college, NAIA. I can't imagine any scenario where you are not going to be the United Soccer Coaches National Coach of the Year. Will you be able to be there to accept that award at the awards banquet, Julianne, if you do, in fact, win the National Coach of the Year, which I believe you should? Well, thank you for that. And, you know, uh, if that honor is there, I would, you know, would be more than happy to be there for that. All right, Julianne, it's such a great sight to see you and see the team surrounding you. And congratulations on an incredible accomplishment. Julianne Sitch, the first female to lead a men's team in the college ranks to a national championship, kicking off this week's show. Congratulations, Julianne. Just amazing. Well, thank you very much, Dean. I really appreciate it. Speaking of amazing, John Mayer has been involved with United Soccer Coaches for such a long time, does an amazing job working with Steve Veal on awards, and he also does an amazing job just keeping his eye out for incredible stories. He came across an amazing story out in Las Vegas where they created a youth soccer league helping people that need help, young kids, keeping them off the streets, a lot of them now playing college soccer, some of them even getting academic scholarships. This coming out of Las Vegas, we'll meet Bob Chin and Luis Vidal, courtesy of John Mayer. That after this message on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Register now for the 2023 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia. From January 11th through the 15th, connect with your soccer coaching community and experience all United Soccer Coaches has to offer in one place. Enhance your coaching resume by attending over 200 education sessions taught by world-class instructors. In addition to meal functions, award ceremonies, and a huge exhibit hall offering the latest in coaching tech, equipment, and more. Register before the December 15th Price increase at UnitedSoccerCoachesConvention.org. The Bolden Lions FC making waves in its second year running. The football club was established not just to score goals in the field, but also to encourage players to work towards future goals. Alyssa Deach has a story you'll only see right here on Fox 5. Playing soccer with more than the final score in mind. That's what Metro Officer Luis Vidal came up with while working the Bolden Area Command. We were having some issues in the Bolden Area Command amongst high school teams within Western High School fights and truancy and mm -hmm. what we can do to occupy them. His solution, a free football club, the Bolden Lions FC. It gives me an opportunity to play soccer at a higher level. It's actually cost-free and we play in the tournaments with the most expensive teams in the city and we get to play against them, which is essentially the same thing. And by expensive, we are talking big money. Club soccer can run you easily $10,000 or more. That's coach Bob Chin. We saw a need that these kids, especially the kids coming from a lot of Title I schools, weren't able to afford to play for a big club or a very expensive club. But in following Officer Vidal's vision, the Lions work with the kids off the pitch too. Over here, they check your grades. They make sure you're on the right track. It gets you in shape. 
and helps you um, get scholarship for college and you know make you a better person. Stay in school, uh, get better grades, and stay off the streets. Here they they keep you out of trouble, they keep you in line. It's very, it's a very, it's basically family. Anything you would hope for in a family, you have it here. Got it, Violet. Good job. They reach out to us when they see that we've been having a bad day or something like that. So it means a lot because they care about us, not just as players, but as individuals. And this approach is working especially well for the Ladies Lions. For this team, still in its infant years, seven girls are moving on to play college soccer. Our goal as a win isn't just winning on the field, but it's getting the kids to go on to play college soccer. It helps you get familiar with different colleges and what they offer, have different conversations with different college coaches, which you could essentially get recruited and play in the next level. So I wouldn't be able to have the college opportunities that some of our coaches have given us. And to see his program success, Officer Vidal says it is rewarding. It's been a long two years of constantly, every single day, seven days a week, mm -hmm. keeping up with their grades, keeping up with how their what their future goals are, especially when they become seniors. Yeah. And to see their, their opinion about the program is heartwarming. You don't need to come from a lot of money to actually do good and perform and get somewhere. Alyssa Deach, Fox 5 News, local Las Vegas. There will be tryouts for next season later this summer if you're interested in joining Bolden Lions FC. We have the contact information right there on your screen and more information on fox5vegas.com. What an incredible video, and we give full credit to that Las Vegas TV station. And at the very end, you could hear them say, here's more contact information on the Bolden Lions FC. What a story. The two main men featured in that, of course, Bob Chin, who coaches the U19 girls for the Bolden Lions FC. He's also the high school girls coach for Cimarron Memorial High School in Las Vegas. And then the wonderful police officer, Luis Vidal, who is also the spokesperson for the Las Vegas Metro Police Department. They're both here. So Bob and Luis, before we dive into this story, let's answer the question that the TV reporter posed, and that is, how can people learn more about Bolden Lions FC? Where can they find you? Absolutely. So we have many ways that the public can contact us. And one of the ways is to contact us at 702-376-8357. We'd be more than happy to have a conversation to get to know what are the needs of the players and the family, and if we are a good fit for them. We're on social media, you can find us on Facebook, under Bolden Lions Football Club, or you can send an email directly to me to L, the letter L as in Lincoln, 14802, the letter V as in Victor, at lvmpd.com. All right, it's very clear in the piece, and it's very clear with you two sitting together that you have this passion for soccer, and you also have this passion for helping people. We just had Thanksgiving. We're getting ready for Christmas. John Mayer, a man that everybody loves at the association, brought this story to our attention. It's a heartwarming story. In your own words, Luis and Bob, tell us how this idea came together, because it simply is wonderful. Absolutely. So approximately about three years ago, actually prior to COVID, I became acquainted with Bob uh, through a youth sport program called Bolden Little League. For those who do not know, Bolden, the name derives from our one of our substations in our agency, uh, the Bolden Area Command. And in that Area Command, a uh, several about five to six years ago, a Little League for baseball was created 
to give uh, underprivileged youth there between the ages of four through about 13, right, Bob? Yeah. Uh, the ability to play baseball completely free of cost. That was very successful in not only creating a positive relationship between the police officers that police that area and a community, but as well as uh, giving kids who don't have the opportunity to play baseball or much of any sport, giving them something to do. And what better way than alongside a police officer to be a positive role model. I signed up to be a coach during that, uh, I believe it was the third year of the program. And I fell in love with the idea. However, uh, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. And one of the things that did not give me the opportunity to play the sport that I was so passionate about, which was soccer, was the fact that one, my parents really struggled financially. And two, the community that I lived in was riddled with crime. And therefore, one of the only ways to pass time was to uh, sit in my backyard and not go out with the fear of me either turning to gangs or bad habits. And it was just the only way that my parents could protect me. The biggest obstacle, of course, was money and being having only one vehicle and my dad always being at work didn't give us the opportunity to, to do the things that I wanted to do, like club soccer. Fast forward a year after I volunteered my time with Bolden Little League, I sat down with Bob. I still remember at a local like diner and I said, hey, I, you know, I have an idea. Why don't we apply the same concepts? However, one of the things that I've noticed in this city is a lot of trouble with youth between the ages of 14 through 19 or around the U19 level for, for soccer. And fortunately and unfortunately, we do have a program like Bolden Little League that serves kids that are in the younger ages. However, most of the crimes that we see being occurred by youth or juveniles is between the ages of 14 and 19. And I think that we can create a, a huge impact in that and diminishing that crime, but also in using soccer at a competitive level as a key motivator to obtain positive behavior, which means uh, good grades, community service, and put them in a path towards uh, higher education, trade school, or whatever it may be. So the idea was very ambitious. And I remember Bob was very supportive and we brainstormed for days of how we can fund this. We got together with some local businesses to help us fund this initial year. And it was a test. And I think we found about how many kids? About 20. And we launched the program. Most of the kids had an average GPA of a 0.5 or below a 1.0. Uh, a lot of them came from families that mom or dad were either in prison, never had any ambitions to do much of anything, or some of them were even trying to fight off a criminal case for something that they had done wrong. Fast forward till the end of the soccer season, the average GPA was uh, between a 3.0 and a 3.5. And we were able to send four kids to college that year, others to trade school, created our own scholarship thanks to very generous donations from not just our community partners, but the LVMPD Foundation. And through that, the program has grown to now having three teams, having scholarships, and being very competitive. It really was a very ambitious program from the start. Having uh, been with Metro for 30 years, retiring as a captain, I knew that the resources were out there. It was just a matter of how do we get them to come together 
working towards a common goal. We've been with the Police Athletic League for close to 20 years. And part of that time as a president, my goal was like Luis is, how do we reach the kids that aren't being reached by anybody else? How do we get to those kids and help them accomplish their goals? Not our goals, but their goals. What is it that they want to accomplish? And this program was a perfect fit for that. Uh, again, on the boys and girls side, it's just such a blessing to be able to take those kids who can't afford the, what I call the, the dark side or the acronym leagues with all the different uh, initials in front of them. There's still tremendous talent out there that's untapped. They just don't have the resources to pay several thousand dollars a year to play club soccer. So this here gave that ability to go ahead and get these kids. And what we tried to do really is work with a lot of the, the Title I schools. But our philosophy is also any kid is a kid at risk. You can come from the nicest neighborhood, but if you don't have that right mentor, that right adult in your life, all it does mean is mean that you have more discretionary income to make mistakes with. So we try to reach all the kids across the board. The vast, vast majority of our kids come from Title I schools, and it's real fun to watch them play the game because they love the game for the game itself. And like Luis said, we've been so blessed that last year on the girls' side, we ended up with four kids getting college scholarships to go play soccer, and then three other chose the academic route. But every every senior that we had ended up going to college. And what Luis does real good on the boys' side as well is that he'll work with trade schools because college isn't a good fit for everybody. It may not be that you know that's their particular goal. Uh, one particular story is Luis worked with a kid, got him into barber school, <laughs> got him where he's basically able to intern, jobs lined up, did that. Another one went into welding. But what is really neat when you look at these kids and you see that there's two choices they can go. One can go into the darker side. The other can go in and be a very productive citizen. And it's really worked out well. In fact, this year on the girl side, we've even brought back some kids who we had coached years past. They've come back. And we try hard to build more ladies into the program. So now we've got two assistant coaches that both had played for us before coming back and giving back to them. And they know you don't get paid. There's no pay for coaches in this program. So it's all volunteer time that goes to the kids on that. Uh, we'll have college coaches come out and run some sessions for us that we know when the tournaments are here in town. One of our, our friends is a counselor at a, a, a very nice private school. She comes and donates her time to talk to the kids about, hey, here's the scholarships that are coming up. Here's how you have to fill them out. This is the due dates. And then we'll work with them on getting those times correct. Because again, we got to remember, they're just sometimes, I call them knuckleheads. They're just knuckleheads on this journey of life. And sometimes it's nice to have somebody say, hey, you know what? Let's take a look at where you're going and let's see if we can get you on that right path again. Well, that's so well said, Bob, and I want to stay with you because another kind of fascinating element, although it's lower tier, because what you're doing here with the Bowdoin Lions FC is off the charts awesome, and I'm so glad we were able to start with that incredible report from the Las Vegas TV station that clearly recognized the value you are offering to these young kids that may need the help, be it knuckleheads or non-knuckleheads, but what I like about you, Bob, is you're also a high school coach, and as you know, there's been this big debate over the years, high school versus youth why can't we do both you're a perfect example of that in this case as well can you echo those sentiments see I'm a firm believer I've been very blessed I, I coached in the past at a, a very nice private high school tons of resources we just recently switched over to title one the exact opposite 
but here's what I've always done is I, I don't require the kids to play high school, but I strongly encourage them to play high school. We even shut the program down basically over that time period. We might train one day a week. I want them to go to, to really play for something bigger than themselves. And that's the high school program. I want them to enjoy that time. I want them to be able to look back. You know, we've been blessed. We've had three state championships and there's nothing more cool watching a kid put that ring on and talk about how I played for, you know, whether it's the Crusaders or the Spartans or the Warriors, whoever it is, and look back on that versus, yeah, you know, we went to this tournament down here in, in Dallas or wherever it's at. It has a total different thing. The other thing we have found over the course of time the more engaged a youth is in their high school, the more likely they're going to be successful in their high school career. By that, I mean graduating, getting a good GPA, staying out of trouble, not getting arrested. It all ties into it. Now, we have had challenges because, again, the dark side is strong, and they sometimes won't allow their kids to even play. And what I try to do is work with those coaches because we've been here a long time and say, hey, you know what? This kid wants to do high school. You tell me what we can do to work with your program and let her play high school at the same time, because you only get one crack at it. This isn't a dress rehearsal. So we've been very fortunate in the sense that balancing those two has paid huge dividends from us. Luis, back to you. As he mentioned the dark side, you were very open about growing up in South Central LA. It's been well documented, the situation there with gangs and crime. And now you're in Las Vegas, another place where you got to keep an eye on gangs and crime, I'm sure. When you now reflect on where you were at South Central LA, now doing what you're doing with Bolden Lions FC, how did that part of your life give you the ambition and drive to do what you're doing now, sir? That's a very deep question. And it, and it really um, resonates with me because I think that we, in particularly with what I do for a living, a lot of people tend to look at law enforcement as exactly what the name means, law enforcement. And we're far more than that. We're mentors. Uh, we're the example of and honestly, the true gateway for our future generations. And I think that as a police department, we're very innovative in the way that we relate or deal with the community, how the community events that we do, and most importantly, innovative in, in, in coming up with new ways to interact with, whether it be youth, whether it be people that continue to commit crimes and finding a solution to that. One of the things that really makes me happy is that the problems that were going on when I was a kid are still the problems that continue to happen now. And in the position that I, that I was at when I met Bob, I was in, I worked in a community engagement side and I got the ability to go out there and find a innovative, clever way to kind of tackle a problem that is still going on. But in reality, finding a way other than just saying, hey, we are a law enforcement agency, you have to do this, you have to do that, this is the way that you should um, live your life. Something that we failed to mention was that our coaching staff is comprised of police officers. And that is a phenomenal, phenomenal way not only to develop the officers to deal with uh, future generations uh, here in the Las Vegas city, but also to mold them to be successful later on. We may not see the results of that just yet, but years from now, when they return back to the communities that we ourselves police at one point, the effect of that will be twofold. And that is 
heartwarming for me to be able to be a part of that initiative uh, alongside with Bob. But um, I think it's it's important for us, even if we are a police agency, to find clever ways to to uplift our youth and to put them in the right direction. This is such an uplifting story. We're starting to run out of time. But Bob, I wanted you to comment on what you saw in Luis as somebody who was in law enforcement, somebody who's in high school, that incredible crossover to know his background and know what he wanted to do. Talk about that natural connection for you and him to work together on this. Uh, it's It's been a pleasure. In fact, the first time I met Luis, we were at, uh, cops tend to eat in bad places. <laughs> <laughs> and the place we were eating at wasn't the greatest. But again, it's got decent food and you don't get bothered. So sitting there with him, it reminded me so much when I were younger, when I was younger, how you want to connect with the community, you want to help the community. And if you look at it from the sense that if you can help these kids earlier, it prevents so many problems down the road. And you see that in Luis and you see that in the younger officers who are helping coach that I honestly believe we get more back from the kids than we give. They really are such a wonderful group of kids and they really want to make a difference in life. And I saw that in Luis when we were sitting down talking with him because we were joking. I think at the time Luis had like four kids lined up. And as we talked, we talked about the old saying, you know, you build it, they will come. And sure enough, now remember, and Luis didn't tell you this, there was times we were practicing at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that way the kids could get to school and stuff like that. Uh, but it was fun. And, and attendance, far better than most soccer clubs. We were at probably 95% attendance. So it really shows you the dedication of the kids and the coaches. And like I said, there is no monetary pay in this. But what you do get back is so much more from these kids then you can ever ask in anything else. Like I said, now we've got a couple kids who have come back. They're helping us coach. You got kids that are our best recruitment tool, tool are the other kids. They'll go out and they'll do, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter what high school you play for. Like I tell them, they're all messed up. <laughs> we bust every kid's chops about what high school they go to. It doesn't matter. And they go out and they'll recruit other kids to come back into the program. And it really leads to that sense that it makes it where it becomes a true community within itself. A touching story during a touching time. Those are great final words. We'll leave the last word with police officer Luis Vidal, who's the spokesperson for the Las Vegas Metro Police Department. And as we give you the last word, Luis, I want you to emphasize if people heard nothing else, if they didn't hear the report from the Las Vegas TV station, why this is so special. And then please end with a reminder where people can learn more about what you're doing, because I feel like you could be a leader, a true role model, along with Mr. Chin for so many other cities across the country. Well, thank you for that. Um, I, I think the, the biggest thing is that sometimes myself being a parent and growing up in the soccer community, uh, we often place a lot of emphasis on just sports and sports, and that is it. And years will fly by, and eventually kids reach that end when when they're 18 years old, 19, and they're, they're aged out. And often, whether it be uh, because of the club's the way the club operates or whether it be the coaches are not as invested, a child will truly miss their opportunity to either decide who they want to become in life um, or what path they should take. We spend more time playing soccer than we do developing a child's need for uh, whether it is their college applications, their highlight films and things like that. Um, and one of the things that we like to focus and thanks to Bob, um, he's truly developed me as a coach and 
uh, been a, a foundation for this program's uh, beliefs and how we operate is that we want to focus on those things because we know that if we don't, sometimes at home, it may not be a priority. Uh, the kids themselves may not know what you have to do to go to college or trade school, or perhaps even just being there is what keeps them out of trouble. And I think those are the, the biggest highlights of the program is that we truly make that a focal point. It is to what's next in life, what's going on at home home and how we can help you get there because we all know that you can go to 50 tournaments a year you can win 20 30 cha uh, championships but if you don't put the work and effort and your coaching staff doesn't put the work and effort into getting you there and what you need to do to be able to attract attention from those coaches we're not going to get them anywhere that's very important to us and how we operate as a club and most importantly um, the core beliefs from uh, passed down from this police department to all of our uh, participants. We can be contacted once again at 702-376-8357. You can also find us on Facebook under Bolden Lions Football Club or Bolden Lions FC. Uh, a good email is uh, the letter L as in Lincoln, 14802, V as in Victor, at lvmpd.com. Or an additional contact would be uh, Las Vegas Crime Dogs at MSN.com, right? 702-812-0009. John Mayer said that Bob Chin and Luis Vidal would be incredible as we just get off Thanksgiving and we head toward the holiday joy. I'm thankful for what both of you are doing. I'm thankful that John Mayer put you forward. Bob and Luis, you should be commended congratulations on your amazing work and we wish you nothing but good things thank you very much thank you thank you john well time to buy bob to also say thank you to john mayer i say the same thing and i also say thank you to dan abrahams who will be at the convention he's also part of the training ground he's got a new article that was submitted this month we'll break down that article with the superstar sports psychologist dan abrahams after this message Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the master course schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Another favorite part of my show was when we take another visit with someone that is part of the training ground, a new initiative that we unveiled in early fall. And we have one of the key contributors, Dan Abrahams, who you'll also see at the convention. We'll end with that, but we welcome Dan Abrahams, a sport psychologist working in the Premier League across Europe and across the world. Dan, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Dean, I am so delighted and honored to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Well, you are part of our content creation consortium. I love saying those three words, and you have contributed some content that will be unveiled this month. And the name of your article is called Internal Driving the External. So at its core, what does that mean to you as our listeners are listening in right now? At its core, it's asking coaches to consider the internal 
that drives the external. By that, I mean the internal of the players that influences, mediates, drives the external, the behaviors of the players. So think about the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions that influence, mediate, drive the behaviors, the actions that you're seeing. We're so socialized in coaching to look at the external, whether that's technical, tactical or physical. We're not as socialized. We're not as primed to consider the internal. So this article is, I suppose I've done it for many years now when I've been over to the convention, uh, the conversations I'm having day to day with coaches at all levels from grassroots right the way to the Premier League level. I'm asking them, I'm compelling them to consider that internal. And then as an extension to that, the article gives coaches a couple of ideas in terms of influencing uh, the internal, the thoughts, the feelings, the the emotions, influencing those internal factors for the better. So that that I th- I suppose is is what the what the piece embodies. Reading from your article, you say coaches can see the external, the behaviors players engage with and the actions players pick and choose, but those behaviors and actions aren't always as a consequence of a lack of ability or resulting from limited knowledge of the game. Coaches shouldn't always assume that an external intervention is necessary, nor in fact optimal. You say the contents of these inner thoughts, emotions, and feelings, there's questions about it. Talk about some examples. Yeah, sure. And and I think it starts with, I suppose, quite a con- controversial lens of the world that I have, or at least it appears to be controversial whenever I, I speak with an audience or with coaches um, or on a podcast like this. Because I think, again, if we're talking about socialization, I think uh, very uh, incumbent within coaching is this idea of you can control your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. And I understand why control is a word that is used, because we want our players to believe that there is a sense of self-control there, that we can take control of these things. But I ask the audience listening in now to, I suppose, consider the difference between we can control thoughts, feelings, emotions. Our players, our people can control their thoughts, feelings uh, and emotions as compared to they can take control of thoughts, feelings and emotions. There's a subtle difference there and that difference lies in building skills helping people our people our players build skills and competencies to be able to take control of thoughts feelings and emotions as i say throughout the piece our thoughts happen to us doesn't matter if you're a player or a coach our thoughts happen to us our feelings happen to us our emotions happen to us now to come back to your questions what are the contents of these thoughts feelings emotions so often in training and definitely frequently on game day the contents of these thoughts feelings and emotions can tend to be uh, aligned with anxious worried doubting those thoughts feelings and emotions can contain a drop in confidence, for example. What we want is to be able to upskill players to build competencies and skills for players to be able to take control of the contents of the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that they experience, the doubts and worries and fears and anxieties and stresses and drops in confidence, those things that they experience. It's not necessarily their fault 
that they're doubting and worried and anxious, which then plays on their capacity to execute their behaviors, their actions. Taking this sympathetic lens of people's inner worlds and how we experience our inner world, I think is a really powerful position for coaches because it's not as coaches going, well, I, you know, I, you know, players can't control this, that that's very negative. It's actually the opposite. It's saying, Hey, I can deliver skills and competencies that help players to take control of these. That's such a powerful position to be in as a coach. And, and, and that's what I urge throughout the article. As I scroll down the article in all bold, you say, always consider the internal experiences of the players you're coaching as they practice train and play dive into that dan as i as i suppose i've been urging for the last five minutes it's just saying consider them don't just look at that rondo or that keep ball or that small sided game and look at the external if a player for example is struggling a little bit a couple of miscontrols, looks a little bit lost, isn't showing for it in that small-sided game. As an example, it might not be that they don't know to show for the ball. It might not be that um, they don't have the capacity to control a football, a soccer ball, right? It might be that they are experiencing that drop in confidence or a little bit of anxiety or a bit of fear, a fear of being judged. They feel a bit flat or lethargic that day through no fault of their own, just because our brain and nervous system is complex and we don't always feel 100% all the time. And so, again, I'm urging coaches to just stand there, take that helicopter lens of the of the session and, and think, okay, what might this player be experiencing here? I think that's where it starts before anything else. If you as a coach do that, then you become much better or you set yourself up. You give yourself the, the platform to become a much better psychologist within your role as a coach. It starts there. We're here with a leading sports psychologist, Dan Abrahams, a friend of the association. As I continue to read two more questions on this article, then we want to know about your presentations at the convention in January. Again, reading, it says, psychological flexibility is paramount for the ambitious competitor and as a life skill for all those participating in sport. By taking a little time to teach soccer players simple mental techniques that help them learn to adapt their appraisal of any given situation and help them to shift their attention onto the right cues and triggers away from the inner noise that grates, you truly can become a psychological coach. You say how with a question mark, and then you have a couple ideas. Can you share some of those? Yeah, absolutely. And and let me pick a word out of that paragraph uh, that you, you, you narrated there. The word attention. Attention is crucial. Focus of attention. Great coaches direct players' attention. And if you want players, your people, to build psychological flexibility, to flex their psychology, their mindset before, during, after a game or training, then help them to flex their attention or get them to to focus their attention on on helpful things positive things if you like so a couple of ideas very very simple things that you can do utilize the beginning of your training session don't just dive into your speed agility quickness activity straight away gather your players together gather your players together and take one minute one minute is all it needs just one minute one minute 30 seconds, ask them this, ask them quick this question. What will it look like if you uh, train 
uh, with uh, uh, a great mindset today or a confident mindset or a positive mindset. Keep it nice and simple and have them answer that question by saying by saying to them, I just want you to spend 30 seconds picturing that. You don't have to use the term visualization or imagery or mental rehearsal like we do in psychology. Just, hey, just picture that. Think about yourself performing confidently today for 30 seconds. And then the next 30 seconds, have them share that image that they're seeing and experiencing in their mind and perhaps experiencing through their body with a teammate. Get them talking together. Hey, you're working on teamship already. You're working on leadership. You're working on team identity there. So you've taken one minute to do a little bit of mental training there. And what are you doing at the heart of that? Let's come back to this word, attention. You're directing their attention onto a confident training session. You're priming their brain already. Perhaps you're increasing their, their stores of energy decreasing that notion that they might be feeling flat or lethargic or experiencing a drop of confidence or anxious or anything like that, you're giving them some soccer confidence. One more little idea that I mentioned in the piece revolves around self-talk. We talk about, especially at the competitive level, Dean, we talk about the importance of training with intensity and having game-like training sessions, which I don't disagree with more often than not. But it's often useful. Sometimes we stop our training sessions, right, to make a coaching point. Why not occasionally stop your training sessions to make a mental point or at least to get players considering thinking about their mindset in that moment? And I refer back to self-talk here. I often get coaches just to stop the session. Uh, let's say it's a keep ball or a small side game. Just stop it, get players to stop and just get them to think about or reflect upon what they're telling themselves what they're thinking about in that moment what is their self-talk content in that moment is it helpful is it energizing is it positive is it instructional or is it the opposite is it hindering is it negative is it unhelpful is it de-energizing by doing that activity again let's come back to attention you're getting your players focusing their attention on a mental skill or mental technique, self-talk, which is really, really important. You're helping them become more aware of the contents of their inner selves. That awareness is the first step in change. It's very difficult to take charge of oneself, to have psychological, psychological flexibility if you don't know the contents of your inner self. So by engaging in something like that, an activity like just stopping them, getting them to think about self-talk, you help them become more aware of their inner selves and subsequently be able to shift that internal narrative. A couple of simple techniques there. So pleased to have esteemed sports psychologist, Dan Abrahams, who's also part of the training ground and will be part of the presentation. We'll get to that after this final question as his article that he submitted for the training ground is internal, driving the external. And you offer a final thought. I'm only going to read the first three sentences and then let you indeed have the final thought where you say, much of my work is conducted at the adult elite level by the side of the pitch in the Premier League. I have conversations with coaches almost daily, reminding them to recognize that the external behaviors and actions are influenced and mediated by the internal. I don't blame coaches if they have this, quote, blind spot. And I would say it's completely understandable, that blind spot. Uh, it is completely understandable. Um, I, as, I, as I said at the beginning of this piece, um, we're very socialized into uh, detecting. We're great, great detectives of actions, motion, of movement. 
And um, perhaps we fell in love with coaching because we loved the tactical side of the game, or perhaps we're passionate about the physical component, or you know, we we love to work with players to help them develop their their technique. And all of that is understandable. Te- the technical, tactical, and physical components lie at the heart of ev- every sport. Any sport you can think of, they lie at the heart of. But the psychological component really is happening every single second. And that that would be my final thought, my final thing to say here is psychology is always happen happening it's omnipresent if you like it's always present beating away under the surface of your players all of your players and it's influencing them non-stop so whilst um we might consider ourselves a technical tactical and physical coach i think we all agree that the psychological component is a big component i would put to everybody that it might not be the most important but i would always put it first because it is always there and just find little ways to influence your players within your coaching session to help them become as psychologically flexible as they can possibly be Great article written by Dan Abrahams. Again, it's called Internal Driving the External. You can check it out this month on the training ground. And as I mentioned, he will also be at the convention. Dan, before we let you go, tell us about some presentations you're doing at the convention and perhaps even the times and dates if you have them. Yeah, I do. So I'm super excited and honored to be uh, invited uh, back. Um, I'm, I'm heading over every year at the moment to, to be in the convention. And, and it's just such an honor to be at the, the world's biggest and best soccer coaching convention on Thursday. Um, at 2.30 p.m. That's the Thursday of the convention. I'm in room CC201. There you go. I've even given you the room, so no excuses not to turn up. Uh, That's CC201. And the title of my presentation is Incorporating Sports Psychology into Your Coaching Practice to Help Players Engage, Learn, and Perform. And just briefly here, yeah, the engagement piece. How do we help players engage in our training sessions? Hey, I've given you one idea already. That one minute at the beginning of the, the session can be important. How do I help players learn? You know, teaching them isn't necessarily uh, akin to them learning. Okay, telling them what to do isn't necessarily akin to them learning. So what many ways can we help them to uh, help our ability to help improve our ability to help them to learn and then performance how do i help players be uh, better competitors so it's just about incorporating injecting psychology into your coaching behaviors and your coaching sessions what many ways can we do that to help players engage learn and perform that's 230 thursday at the convention room CC201. And then I am delighted and honored to do a sort of a a session with a a conversational session with three other brilliant people, uh, Dr. Rachel Linval, Donna Fishter, and Paul McVeigh at 3.30 p.m. on the Saturday. And that's room CC108. And we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking together about how to create a healthy and psychologically safe environment for players You'll be touching on things like player well-being, welfare, mental health, uh, alongside helping players thrive, perform and thrive and flourish. I think those pieces now, uh, from a holistic perspective within coaching, are seen as absolutely essential. How do we help players perform? Yes. How do we help them learn soccer? But how do we help them thrive and flourish as people? How do we give them the best 
most uh, holistic environment, safe and healthy environment as possible, it can be a difficult sweet spot to find. So we're going to be having a conversation about that together. Um, so delighted and honoured to be joined by them. So really looking forward to it, Dean. I'll, I'll see everybody in Philadelphia. That'll be Thursday, January 12th and Saturday, January 14th. Before we say goodbye, Dan, as I often do, if people want to keep in touch with you, if they want to hire you, how can they follow you, email you, follow you on the website, whatever it takes? Sure. Thank you so much, Dean. Um, danabrahams.com. Danabrahams.com is my website. Um, you can get in touch with me there, just uh, office at danabrahams.com. Um, I've got a plethora of social media channels, but probably the best one on Twitter is at danabrahams77. Facebook Facebook at Dan Abraham Soccer, Instagram at Dan Abraham's Sport. Follow me on LinkedIn. I do a little article every day, so you can read that there. And yeah, I, I think that's me. So looking forward to hearing from everybody in the future. Once again, the article at, that is in the training ground is internal driving the external. Check out his schedule, as he mentioned, on the 12th of January and the 14th of January. Dan Abraham's always a pleasure. Thanks for being on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks, Dean. Take care. When we return, we put the spotlight on another member of the National Staff Office for United Soccer Coaches. We meet Sarah Wilbur. Sarah Wilbur, after this message. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform. From robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations, League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps, another outstanding show, obviously with a heavy focus on the convention as the convention is right around the corner. Hard to believe that it's going to be here in just days, January 11th, it will kick off of course and run all the way through that Sunday as we bounce around we're so pleased to now put the spotlight back on some members of the United Soccer Coaches staff you'll see Sarah Wilbur the membership services manager in Philadelphia at the convention so there's so much that she does in her new role she just started in September and we welcome her now welcome Sarah Thanks. So glad to be here and finally meet you. Yeah, so great to meet you as well. And I'll start with the fact that you will spearhead now the 30 under 30 class, an exciting class. And it sounds like a class that is very eager to get involved and in fact, very eager to be on the podcast. Yes, I'm so excited. Um, I'm working with Allison on this. Really happy to get them involved. They've all signed up for the podcast. They're eager to talk to you, hear more about us, hear more about what we offer. And I'm excited to hear about all of them and the amazing things that they've accomplished so far in their coaching careers. We're getting to know Sarah Wilbur, the membership services manager just hired in September. So let's start there, Sarah. Blank slate, 
Tell us about where you grew up, your family, where you went to college. Did you play soccer? Did you play sports? Go ahead. Don't be shy. Tell us about yourself. Yeah. So I'm a Kansas City kid. I uh, grew up in Olathe. Went to high school at Olathe North. Played soccer forever. Played basketball. You know, I was a kid who was trying to play everything softball. Uh, grew up with my two brothers and sister. Ended up going to Central Missouri to play soccer. And then ended up finishing my career academically at KU. Graduated from there. But when I stopped playing, I actually got into coaching. So I went back and coached at my high school for 10 years, coached some local clubs here and, you know, just never left the sport after I stopped playing. So really excited to be here at United Soccer Coaches and kind of get back in the soccer world. So Sarah, does this job as the membership services manager still allow you to coach? It does. Yes. I'm not coaching at the moment. I know Olathe North. I miss them, love them dearly. Uh, just kind of looking at a different part of my life right now and really focusing on career and getting involved here. All right. And then I heard you say you finished your education at Kansas. So when they came back and beat North Carolina, had you spent enough time at Kansas where that meant something to you when the Jayhawks won the national championship in basketball last spring? Oh, absolutely. I am rock chalk through and through. Always love a good KU. Super excited about football. I mean, making a bowl game. It hasn't been since 2009 when I was in high school. So super excited on all aspects of KU sports and still super involved and love watching them and giving everyone here a hard time about it. I am just two days removed from going to dinner with Jeff Van Dusen, who was over in Doha for the World Cup. He came back for the Women's College Cup, and we were able to get together, and he talked about the new culture. He talked about you and people that are bringing great spirit to the association. Can you echo that sentiment? Yeah, I, I love it here. I'm so excited. It's such a good group of people who all truly love what they do. It seems like it's always a good atmosphere, good energy. Everyone here is super excited for a convention to get involved, to give back to our members. I have nothing but good things so far. I've loved every minute of it, love coming here and just, you know, learning and about what we do and everything I can get involved in. You will be on the association staff side of the convention. Have you been to the convention before as a coach? I have. I've actually been to the convention. This will be my fifth convention, I believe. First from this side. So definitely a different perspective. Really excited. I see all the things that we put into it, which gives me a deeper appreciation. But I love convention. It's such a great time to meet people. I'm excited to see the people that I, you know, talk to on the phone all the time and work with in different aspects. So I'll be a registration. I'll get to see everybody in and out. So make sure to stop by. <laughs> United Soccer Coaches staff spotlight on Sarah Wilbur, the new membership services manager, just been in this job since September. If you listen to this show, I talk about memories and mentors. You can start with mentors or you can start with memories, but you think about your greatest memory in the game as a coach or a player, and then you think about people that have made a difference in your life. You can answer either one first, but just make sure you answer them both. Oh, gosh. Okay, so... Mentor-wise, I think the coach that sticks out to me the most is Derek Shore. He was one of my high school coaches. I played for the Dynamos here in Kansas City. Loved every minute of that. Have some great memories traveling with those girls. Working with him, just have so much respect for him. He actually ended up coaching at KU for a little bit. I don't believe he's part of the game anymore, but still one of my favorite coaches and mentors and really look up to him still. As a player, 
just winning state cup here was great. You know, getting all the experiences. I love traveling. I still love traveling with my husband. So I have so many memories with all the girls, you know, going to DC to play in Phoenix and all over the country growing up that way. But as a coach, I think my favorite memory is beating some of the other Olathe schools. To be <laughs> completely honest, um, I was the head coach for a year. The head coach, his daughter, she was a senior. And so he stepped down and wasn't coaching. And I took that position for a year and we beat Olathe East, which is a huge deal, you know, an Olathe school beating Olathe school. So love to give Terry Hare a hard time about that one, but. Yeah, that's perfect. You got to love those rivalries for sure. And glad to hear you mentioned your husband. Tell us about uh, your husband. Where'd you meet and how long you guys been married? So we've been married for five years. We've been together for 15. We're the, you know, good old Midwest sweethearts from high school. He actually played soccer as well. So the two of us kind of go back and forth. He was a defender. I was a forward. So you could imagine how when the two of us play against each other, how that goes to this day. So that's awesome. And I imagine you both enjoy watching soccer together, I would guess. Oh, absolutely. I think it gets a little frustrated because I still have that coach in me. You know, when I'm making comments, especially during the World Cup, and he's like, all right, let's just watch the game, but love it. World Cup time is great. Watching Kansas City is great. I mean, it's been awesome. Spending time with Sarah Wilbur outside of soccer, outside of memories and mentorship and your husband. What's the, what's one thing about you that maybe people would have no idea, a hobby or a special talent? I really like cooking. I'm a big cook. I love learning about new cultures and new foods and you know, during COVID, I really got into learning from different parts of the world. So I actually would take classes from people in India and Japan and China and connect with them. So I just, I really enjoy cooking. <laughs> All right. That is perfect. Just two more questions with Sarah Wilbur. Really enjoyed meeting you and look forward to working with you as we'll have a 30 under 30 member on just about every podcast. And Sarah's already lined that up, which is just incredible. But now that you've been there for a couple months, when you hear these three words, United Soccer Coaches, what do those three words mean to Sarah Wilbur? United is just bringing to me everybody together. There's so many people of different backgrounds and everything. And I know that we want to be the home for all coaches. So United to me is just bringing everybody together on a better front and being great for all. Soccer, obviously, my love for the game, love for the sport, love for the community. Coaches, somebody who I, you know, look up to. I hope that others have coaches who they look up to and admire and inspire. As we mentioned, you'll be working with the 30 under 30 class. The new class was just recently announced. We will meet one of the members, the first member of this class that we'll meet coming up. Tell us about who we're meeting and what makes him so special. Yeah. So the first one up is going to be Tyler. Tyler is part of the Maccabee Futsal program. He's the head coach over there. He is a young and bright, enthusiastic coach that I'm really excited to actually see present at convention this year. So he will be on one of our futsal courts, I believe at one o'clock, but I don't remember the day. Just can't wait to see him and what he can do. Really was looking forward to this and it delivered Sarah Wilbur. By the way, Jeff Van Dusen said great things about you when I met him for dinner the other day and he was spot on. Sarah Wilbur, the membership services manager for United Soccer Coaches. We put the spotlight on her and she crushes it. Sarah, thanks. We'll see you in Philadelphia. See you there. She talked about Tyler Weiss, part of the new 30 under 30 class. We'll meet Tyler Weiss after this message. 
It's not too late to get your program recognized for the 2022-23 season. Register now for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program to enhance your coaching experience with educational offerings, general liability insurance, and awards and rankings eligibility for you and your players. The College Services Program serves to support you and your coaches, recognize your students' amazing efforts on the field and in the classroom, and advocate for meaningful change that protects our coaches and players. Register today by visiting unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. As you just heard, the new membership services manager for United Soccer Coaches, Sarah Wilbur, will be spearheading all of the 30 under 30 interviews with this brand new class. And our first person that we're going to interview is Tyler Weiss. And we'll get into the Weiss-Weiss part in a second. But I do want to point out before we welcome him in, he is also not only a new member of the 30 under 30 class, but he is the head coach of the U.S. Futsal Maccabi team, which plays all over the world. And I look forward to learning more about that. But first, let's say hello to Tyler. Welcome, Tyler. Hi, Dean. Uh, thank you so much. It's, it's a real honor and privilege to to be here and to discuss with you. You're, you're a real legend of the of the game. Well, it's certainly my honor, particularly some of the conversation we had before we came on, very humble as you were talking about maybe not being deserving. You're definitely deserving, particularly being a, a head coach of the Maccabi national team for U.S. futsal, which is really cool. We also had some fun. You're from Australia. In Australia, they call you Weiss. Over in the U.S., they call you Weiss. Tell me a little bit more about that, Tyler. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm from Australia, Melbourne, Australia. My dad uh, moved to the United States and um, – uh, my parents met in Israel, they moved to America, and when they got married, everyone said, uh, March and Weiss, March and Weiss, and at first he was said, no, Weiss, 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 and then unfortunately <laughs> just got a little lazy, and uh, sort of had our own Ellis Island moment, and just changed our last name to Weiss, and it's fun, because you, know, you go to different places in the world, it's it's Weiss in Australia, Weiss in America, Weiss in Europe, <laughs> and um, for someone who, like me, who's traveled all over the world and met people from all over, it, it's fun to fit in anywhere. So Let's hear your story. So were you born in Australia? When did you come to the U.S.? Where did you go to college? Don't leave anything out. Get <laughs> me to from birth to where you are right now, my man. Sure. So um, I was born actually in Philadelphia. Um, my mom's American. My dad's Australian. My mom wanted to make sure I had the opportunity to be the president of the United States. So I was born in America. Nine weeks later, went back to Australia. My dad said, none of us are into politics. Why would we do this? My mom's like, just in case, like every other mother in the world, just in case. <laughs> so I went back to Australia, lived there back and forth until about grade school. And then we pretty much moved back to America, Central PA, York, Pennsylvania. My mom's a doctor, so medicine is much more interesting in America. Rural medicine's where her passion is. Went to a school called Your Country Day School and was on the varsity team. And then in about 10th grade, sort of came to the realization that our school didn't have a youth soccer program. Like many schools in the country have these clubs that are part of the, their school and they have first, second, third, fourth, and fifth grade. And I thought this would be a really cool project to get into. My coach, Jim Mustard, um, USA Youth National Goalkeeping Coach, really pushed me into coaching. And I started the youth soccer program in my school district. And um, it was really, really cool because first year, you know, you had 20 kids. Then second year, we had four teams. And then by my third year, I was literally hiring coaches to have a whole inter-school league. And then went to University of Rochester, played club soccer there, 
be honest with you, was never very good at soccer. I was, I was okay. I was, I was skillful enough to play and um, I was always the hardest worker. And that's how, so how I sort of was able to play at higher levels, but I loved coaching. And then my junior year of university, many universities across the country who were going through, you know, that 20 mid 2010s recession and budget cuts and the university cut the budget for clubs and there was no more coaches for clubs. And I stepped away from playing to take over the university club team as a coach, coached my junior and senior year. And that was sort of my first unofficial official coaching career. And then graduated, moved back to York to start an apprenticeship as an appraiser, which is a valuer. And I value properties, uh, commercial properties for court cases as a full-time job and went to coach my middle school. And that was really cool because a lot of those kids who were in that first through fifth grade, especially those first and second graders, were seventh and eighth graders in the middle school. So my first middle school job was coaching the kids that I started bringing in four or five years ago. And that was amazing. Kids who didn't play soccer anymore were like, Tyler's coaching, I'm going to come back. And we had this elite team of top baseball players, top basketball players who all came back to play soccer. And we went undefeated in the school's first time in the school's history. The previous season, they were they went two two wins in fifteen. So it was a really cool turnaround. Then decided to move on, moved up to Harrisburg, and had the real cool opportunity to coach with Camp Hill with uh, Justin Schaefer, um, two time coach of the year in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, twice winning the uh, state championships at Camp Hill, and then I had the opportunity to coach and really coach the goalkeepers. I fell in love with these 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 passion of these kids and. And I have a relationship with these players still four or five years on. And that was amazing. Coaching at clubs um, around uh, around the Harrisburg area. The, the big step in my career and my life was then moving to Philadelphia. Um, that was for work and personal life. I had the real cool opportunity to coach at Masterman High School, which uh, is the number one academic school in Pennsylvania, number 10 in the country. And in my first season as the head coach, I actually had the cool... <laughs> pathway to we won our first championship in the school's history we're a school of about 350 kids and we played a 6,000 student school in the final in this uh, regional final of philadelphia public league and it was just amazing the, the parents were thrilled we were thrilled the dean was like we won a lot of chess trophies but this is our first real <laughs> trophy that we can hang up and put and that trophy sat in the the cafeteria for for weeks kids were taking pictures of it like to put into perspective this, this, these kids, there's like 60% go to Ivy League. These are kids who are the top kids in the country. And we had a school of 350 high school kids. We had 300 kids at the final. Percentage-wise, just think about that. There's no football team with that percentage going to a final. And we had that. And I was so thrilled for this school and these students to be able to, to have that opportunity. The next opportunity, which was really dear to my heart, is becoming a, a coach and assistant director of coaching at a program called United Philly, which is a soccer program in, in Philadelphia, which is for low-income urban kids. Um, our average fee is $400 for the entire season. And that was really important to me because I've always considered the expense of soccer so prohibitive to so many players. I know for me, I've always, I bought all the equipment for the high school team so a public school couldn't afford it. I came in with two balls. They provided two balls the first day of practice. I spent about $400 to buy 20 balls because you need them for practice. 
um, pennies, cones. And that was really important to me going into doing that with United Philly. And, um, and through all this good work, I sort of fell into Maccabi USA, had some lunches with them. And I was put onto the management staff to help organize the soccer team going to Israel for the Maccabi games uh, this past summer, June and July of 2022. And, um, and in February, the, uh, the futsal men's futsal coach sort of disappeared, just fell off the face of the earth. And they were like, would you be interested in applying? And I said, you know, I'm 20, well, at that point, 26 years old. And uh, I think I'm a little young to be a head coach. And like, we're sort of looking for one. We think it's important. And they said, at least apply. I was like, you know what, what is life? And so I applied. Yeah, I had this conversation with the uh, the person organizing. One of the two of the captains called me and, and the person organizing. And we had a phone call. And they said, listen, Tyler. You're, you're the requirement. They said, we have to interview two people. You're the requirement second person. I was like, I am just happy to be second. I am really happy to be second here. To be a secondary candidate for the national Jewish team as a Jewish athlete, like I was thrilled to be there. We had a great conversation. We were just talking about how all these players who are coming, we had a, play, a former Chicago Fire player, a former Maccabi Netanya player, seven or eight D1 players, current D1 players. And I was like, you know, my goal would just be to bring all these coaching education, educated players together and we'll, we'll work as a group. And yes, the end, I am the coach, but like, I was like, we yeah, have one of the coaches who organized this program called uh, Oaklandish in, in California, which helps kids find the right path with education and with playing and with athleticism. And I was like, who am I to like know so much more than him? Let's work together. Yes. At the end, we have one coach, but we can all put our own little coaching philosophies into it. And the other, and, and then we had a great conversation in the end and I was having lunch with one of my friends and we were, I got a call and he said, we decided to go with you. And I said, how could you possibly pick me over this potential D1 coach? And I, and he said, listen, the D1 coach said, when we win, it's because I'm the good coach. I know what I'm doing. And this is why we're going to win. And he said, you're going to win because we're going to win as a group. And they said, they just love that. And we had the opportunity to go and go to Israel and, and experience the most phenomenal point of my life. The Jewish national coach of the men's futsal team. The other coaches were 50, 60 years old. And here I am, 26, having my birthday in Israel, turning 27 with the first women's team, the first U16, U18 team, and, and developing this relationship with all these potential superstars in futsal meeting the best Jewish athletes in the world in running, in volleyball, in, in basketball, in soccer, in futsal from countries that you don't even think of as a population, like becoming friends with Ukraine refugees, Jewish Ukraine refugees who decide it was so important to attend the Maccabiya Games that they figured out a way to put on a Ukraine national team. And, and that was just the honor of a lifetime to coach them, to meet these players, to meet these people. And um, I'm in a very privileged spot. And, and that sort of leads me to now today. Now, and now I'm working as the, um, the commissioner of uh, Maccabi USA Futsal, growing the women's team, trying to add a women's U16, a women's 18. And then the next step is to uh, prepare for nationals in Las Vegas uh, next year, to prepare for the uh, Pan Am Games in Argentina in December 2023 um, and then obviously the big one December uh, July 2025 back in Israel for the next Maccabiya games 
So that's sort of my three-year goal. Uh, what a great job breaking down an amazing career at such a young age. And if you can, also clarify what is in Philadelphia so we get it right. Yeah, so the Makari headquarters are in Philadelphia, um, the Center City of Philadelphia, and they they have a small office that operates <laughs> – 12,000 athletes who uh, go to Israel and um, for every sport you can think of. The U.S. futsal, uh, Maccabi futsal, I only say is in, in Philadelphia because I'm here. The head chair of the uh, men's team is here. It just feels like we operate out of here. We have a lot of the players who live in Philadelphia or Camden, Jersey or in Baltimore. So it's a national program. Just the headquarters for the Maccabi USA happens to be in Philadelphia. So talk to me about when you decided to lean into futsal because all of your other prior experience were with regular 11 v 11 soccer, I sure. assume, correct? Yeah, sure. Now, um, so I think just like many American um, soccer players, futsal was the winter sport. Um, you played it, uh, especially in the Northeast, like it, it gets too cold, it gets too snowy over the uh, winter. So you play indoor soccer, futsal or, or indoor turf. The luckiness that my best friend when I moved to Philadelphia was a futsal player. He um, is a Jewish footballer. He happened to be on the Jewish uh, national team as well. Uh, I played with him. I fell in love with the sport two years uh, ago. And honestly, oh, I need to be involved with this. This is a sport that is growing this country and can teach kids skills that they, they miss in America. Uh, you know, most countries in the world, uh, South America, um, and, and European countries, they play futsal until they're 10 or 11 years old before even switching to 11 v 11 soccer. So I really fell in love with the potential of U.S. futsal. I've had conversations with the director of U.S. futsal, Alex, and I've had conversations with uh, U.S. futsal youth, and, I, I, and I've been eagerly meet, trying to meet uh, the U.S. national futsal, and we've had some exchanges over uh, over Instagram. I've DM'd him to try to to try to meet him and meet up, and I sort of fell in love with the sport, and I, I just dived in. And yes, I still coach 11 v 11 soccer, but my passion has really pivoted to uh, futsal. And I'm glad that it has because I noticed at the last convention, people like Keith Tozer and even Anson Dorrance, who – is a 21-time national champion. As we're recording this, he's going to go tonight for a 22-time national championship as they'll play UCLA. This show will air on Thursday. But I found at the convention last year, the United Soccer Coaches were really opening their arms to futsal and its importance to the 11v11 outdoor game. Can you talk about that translation? It's a great transition. Uh, I know at this convention, I think they're going to have six or seven different futsal uh, specific courses. I'm actually going to be presenting um, one of them about um, this, uh, we call it a uh, transition for Maccabi Art, uh, because a lot of soccer players go to futsal and a lot of futsal play. We don't have a lot of just solely futsal players. So a lot of time before we go to Israel, I'm like, I got to teach them the basics of futsal real quick to teach them how to, to be successful and to win. It's so important, especially if we can teach young kids the, the importance of small-sided, not much space and quick touches and understanding when to use your goalkeeper and understanding set plays. Because everything in futsal is, is a set play. Every kick is a set play. Every foul is a set play. And there's so much that can be taught about small-sided touches and, and how the ball needs to be moved and how to control the, the ball different ways. And you see all the time with these uh, 
Brazilian South American players and how they're so talented in these tight pressure spaces. And you're like, oh, it's because of this understanding from when they were six years old playing futsal, being able to pass and control the ball and go through when you're being pressed by two or three men. It's only going to help. You know, it was a disappointment this week, as I'm sure everyone was with USA going out to Netherlands. And we have an opportunity in four, eight, 12 years to develop the next generation. And I think having futsal as part of the requirement to develop these young soccer players in the United States is only going to improve our chances of one day achieving the ultimate goal, right? Winning the World Cup. And I'm not saying that's in four years. I'm not saying that's in 12 years, but but that has to be the goal. And I think looking at how other countries have done it with futsal being the first stepping stone to before you go to 11 v 11 soccer is only going to improve those chances. So pleased to be kicking off our visits with all 30 members of our new 30 under 30 class. This man is outstanding. Talking about Tyler Weiss. Tyler, just real, real quickly, since you are presenting, tell us again the name of the session. And if you know the date, uh, that would be great. So people, even the time, so people can check you out. It's going to be January 12th in Philadelphia at the convention. Really excited. The, the course is called A Model Practice for Maccabia Games. It's going to be run by me. I'm really excited to see everyone who can be there. Um, it's going to be a privilege to meet some elite coaches, to meet all my fellow other 29, 30, under 30. Like these 29 other people, they are the best of the best. It's going to be an honor just to be able to stand next to them. So it's been a real privilege, Gene. I'm really excited to, to hopefully meet you in January as well. I definitely will meet you and I'll definitely try to plan to come to your session as well. That's pretty awesome that you're already getting involved in such a big way. Tell me about when you heard that you were selected for the 30 under 30. I know it's a you know big process. You got to take your time. You've got to write. You got to make sure that you you know put a ton of mentors down there as well. But when you heard that you were in, tell me who were, you know, your reaction and some of the first people you called, Tyler. <laughs> I, I called my mom. <laughs> no one else who I wanted to tell first. Um, my mom and dad have taken me to midnight soccer games and they've taken me to tournaments and my parents come to all my big games. They were at the final last year when we won it. My mom's an all-American volleyball player. So she understands how to be an elite player. And, and we were in tears together because it's just like to be so young, to, to be recognized, it was just... It was a really happy moment to be able to share with my mom. And that's not to say my dad wasn't enjoying the moment. My dad was on the Olympic weightlifting team for the Australian weightlifting team. So again, huge athlete, huge, huge uh, understanding of these moments. But it was a real, it was a real fun moment to be on the phone with my mom. And, and then to tell all the players and the parents who I've coached and dealt with, and not just the current coach, uh, uh, players that I coach, but players that I haven't coached in four or five years when, when I posted on Instagram, I was getting phone calls from people I haven't heard in four or five years. Jim Mustard, again, this coach who started me when I was 14, 15 years old. I had Kenneth Klein call me again. Just these coaches that I haven't talked to in 10 years, they were calling me up and just, uh, it was a real privilege. And, and I think the most meaningful message to me was from my coach. He was my club coach when I was 11, 12, coach Dave Fitzgerald. He called me and messaged me and he was telling everyone, he was like, I coached this kid. And, and he was like, and, and now look at him, he's, he's, he's gone and done the next step. And it was just like his message to me, someone who I haven't talked to in years, 
still felt it was important enough to reach out. It's just, I've been so fortunate to have these coaches throughout my life that made me into a good coach. And, and I'm so blessed to be able to take what they taught me, take not this, that coaching is about, you know, making the most talented players, but making the most important lesson is, you know, the, no, most of your players in your life are not going to be professional soccer players, not going to go to university, but all of them are going to be professional human beings. And that's sort of my quote that I give every team. I say, I'm going to teach you to be the best human being possible. And if I can make you into a more skillful team, more skillful human being and more skillful player, then I feel like I've done my job right. Indeed you have. And how about the amazing guests we had today? I want to thank all of them. Also want to thank the great people at United Soccer Coaches, especially Bailey Conklin and Brandon Milburn. I want to thank my producer, Colin Thrash. And of course, I want to thank you, all of the great members of United Soccer Coaches. For all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.